HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Cutting the Curd is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American international style and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country? For more information, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd, live on the Heritage Radio Network. This is your host, Greg Blaze. I'm also here with Emily Acosta, Cutting the Curd producer and my co-host for today. How are you, Emily? I'm doing great. <laughs> today we continue our Cheese and Art series with, with an amazing artist, Miriam Simoon. Thank you for coming in with us today, Miriam. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Emily and I saw Miriam's most recent exhibit, Agalinas. Dreams, Agalinas Dreams at the Museum of Art and Design on Wednesday, and it was really cool. Yeah, we had a great time. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. Thanks for coming out. No, of course. Um, so I first met you um, when I was doing my food studies master's degree, um, and I was taking a class at the Tisch School of Arts on food and performance. And it was one of my most memorable academic experiences. Um, so it was a seminar of only 10 folks. Um, I'm setting the stage here. Um, and one of my classmates came in with some, like, young cheese and a baguette. And it wasn't unusual. We used to snack in class all the time. So we just kind of started eating the cheese. And then um, she introduced Miriam. And then Miriam started talking about her art project, which <laughs> happened to be about human uh, cheese or breast milk cheese. Immediately, all of us stopped eating <laughs> the mystery cheese that was on the table. Um, and none of us asked if that was human milk cheese or not. We just kind of got into this really amazing conversation about um, your work. And um, and it, it was just such a great discussion. In conclusion, it wasn't uh, breast milk cheese. It was cow's milk cheese. But um, for a good hour, all of us were kind of um, left wondering what it meant that we had just perhaps maybe tried breast milk cheese. So with that kind of context, um, I just uh, wanted to ask you, why why cheese and why breast milk cheese? Yeah, those are great questions. Um, yeah, I remember Natalie 
set that up and told me she was going to do that, and I, I thought that that was actually a pretty brilliant introduction. Um, I myself uh, always uh, made all my best efforts to make sure people knew what they were ingesting when it was actually human cheese. Yeah. Um, so why human and why cheese? Yeah. Why why cheese as a medium, and why breast milk as, I guess, the, the medium as well? Yeah. Um, well, I don't think it's it's not necessarily just about human or about cheese, but really about the intersection of both of them. Um, this was a project I did a couple of years ago now, um, and I think it was only like a year or two after I came to first came to New York. And I had just moved from London, where the, the food scene is uh, lagging a little bit behind. So this kind of... I remember really being struck going to the farmer's market, and um, where you could buy the, your, your beef. They had pictures of the, the very nice woman that was standing behind the counter selling me the beef, like petting her cow. And I think they, they all had names. And I remember really being struck by this, right? Because it's like completely, I mean, so I was just being introduced to this locavore kind of know your food movement. And, and it was the antithesis for what, for like a generation or two, I guess, in this country of how we packaged and marketed our food was like as far away from the animal as possible. And I started to think like, what an interesting thing to know the name, right? So suddenly you're humanizing the thing that you're eating. Um, and then at the same time, I was in graduate school and I was doing a program um, that was looking at kind of new technology and innovation and is thinking a lot about progress and what that means. Um, I'm particularly interested in biotechnology, which seems like it's a stretch, in it, but it's not, and I'll let you know why. Um, and so I was looking at, at a number of different anthropologists and artists working with biotechnology and kind of what's becoming scientifically possible to do with the human body and what happens when that intersects with markets um, and commodities. So, uh, there, you know, there's plenty of human um, body material that that is used in a commercial way, in particular um, around women, you know, the whole in vitro fertilization yeah. movement, um, which when it came, when it emerged was kind of this really frightening thing but look how quickly it became accepted so I, those are the those are just the things floating around in my mind and so when i started thinking about that um cheese is actually the oldest form of biotechnology interesting to know um right because we're using live microbes to change a material and turn Absolutely. it into something we want if i may the what I found interesting, so Emily, Emily told me we were going to we were going to talk to you, and um, the name of your project is called the Lady Cheese Shop, right? Or so the um, part my project was just called Human Cheese from uh, an artistic cheese. point of view, but part of the project was a pop up shop called the Lady Cheese Shop. And so you actually sold the cheese that you made. I, I gave away free samples of the breast milk cheese of the cheese made from human milk. <laughs> it's interesting. I I, I really. I, I agree with what you say. Uh, it's and we were talking about this, Emily and I, on the, on the way over. And it doesn't have as much to do with cheese per se as food. <clears throat> it's different when when I used to go to shop for meat before I was I was a butcher for a tiny tiny amount of time. But I had no idea. Uh, steaks were just in these little styrofoam containers, and the plastic was pulled tight over them, and they were beautiful and red. But you didn't know where they came from. And I think that's the point you were making about when you were in the farmer's market and you saw the woman, you know, next to her cow that she was then sell thusly selling you pieces of. Um, and then that makes you react a certain way. 
uh, or it makes it would make me react a certain way or maybe change my perspective on the food that I was eating. And when Emily mentioned to me that we were going to do this and uh, she was talking to me, I was like, I don't know if I could eat that. I don't know if I could eat that. And she asked me if I had a you know a moral objection to it, and I don't. I don't have any conscious moral objection to um, human milk cheese, but I don't know if I could actually ingest it because of some maybe some memory that I have locked in or or some something in my subconscious that won't allow me to do it. And when I when I looked at your uh, at your exhibit, uh, the video of your exhibit online, and then the exhibit that we went to, I found it very interesting. Your performance uh, seemed to very much exaggerate the use of science. Not exaggerate it, but really magnify the use of science as intersected with um, all these pastoral images and with um, you know organic matter. And I was wondering if that's what you were, if, if I was right in, in thinking that that's what you were trying to do, um, and if that was what your aim was if you had one or knew what it was when you made um, the human milk cheese so the reason why the lady cheese shop gave away free samples is because you sit here and you tell me that you don't think that you could ingest it but you really don't know the answer to that question until you see it on the plate in front of you and you can smell it and that's to me the really interesting moment right because that's where we make our decisions and they're intuitive and they're made with our bodies and they're made with our senses um, and so intellectually, we have all these ideas, but it's only through, I mean, I'm, I made that cheese Certainly. in my kitchen, right? Which is a, a whole different experience. Um, yeah, so it's really that moment, that moment that I'm interested in. And then in terms of exaggerating science, so that's an interesting way to put it. I mean, I actually feel like science is often, or the technological aspect of things um, in our everyday lives, depending on where they fit, but around food tend to be underemphasized, right? Because we like to think of food as, well, I don't know. We have this really strange thing. On the one hand, we like to think of it as coming straight from the ground and unadulterated in any way. Especially cheese. Especially cheese. But on the other hand, um, I mean, yeah, steak is in a in a little box where it's totally, you know, removed from the, the, the animal part where it came from. But I think a lot... I mean, what I'm really interested in is we put things in boxes, right? We do. So humans put- humans don't fit in the same boxes as cows. Um, sometimes steak doesn't fit in the same boxes as cows. And and what what the what seeing that image at the farmers market did for me was confuse those things that had been separate, right? Or, or show me the relationship. And I think it just opened up a an avenue of interest for me. I, I didn't know the answer when I started this, but I just started to see kind of where things are interconnected. And I'm really interested in kind of positioning that also for other people. I think that's really interesting. And um, actually, I think in that particular seminar that I referenced, when we started the discussion, everyone's just like, why? Why breast milk cheese? It's so interesting, but why? And then by the end of the discussion, it was like, well, why not? Why not? I guess I, I, I mean, just through discussion, by the end of that that conversation, I was like, I, I think I would, tr- I think I would try it. I don't know because your initial reaction is kind of disgust. But um, I wanted to backtrack actually and talk about your method for making this, since this is a cheese show, and um, talking about how you source the milk and um, your process for actually making the cheese and what types of cheese you made. Great questions. Um, so, yeah, when I first started to thinking about this project, um, I remember I told my grandmother about it, and her first question was why. <laughs> 
And then her second question was, you're never going to find anybody to give you milk. Why don't you do something more practical? Um, so I Googled it, and I found a Craigslist ad of somebody selling their milk. And so then that was the moment I said, okay, um, yes, I can find the milk, and yes, I have to do this. Because, your first, I mean, my first question was like, wow, okay, people are selling human milk on Craigslist. And after that, I didn't end up purchasing my milk on Craigslist, but I found this whole gray market for human milk. A gray market. Anything's better than purchasing anything on Craigslist. That's <laughs> suspect. But I, anyway... So there's a whole series of websites where women are selling their milk. And it's called a gray market because organs are obviously t- illegal. So Absolutely. it's a black market. And human milk falls in this unlegislated area where it's not technically so legal, but it's not technically illegal. Um, and you have a, a really interesting, I mean, all sorts of things like selling to gay couples that can't produce their own milk, right. selling to people that have adopted and for whatever reason, the human milk banks don't work for them or are too expensive, right, which is the legal way to get a doctor's prescription and go to a bank where it's donated, all these kind of things. Um, But cancer patients that believe it's going to help them, bodybuilders that believe it helps them, men that, or not men, that that do it for personal reasons, that they like to purchase the milk. And then you watch these women that advertise themselves market themselves in certain ways. So... Uh, all the milk that I bought was the women were blood tested, and then I had a choice. Did I want a vegan diet, or did I want a vegetarian diet? Did I want someone that doesn't drink alcohol or does, right? All these really interesting questions crop up. What does that cost you? What does breast milk cost you? I don't know the going rate right now. When I was um, working on it, it was average $2 an ounce. I think I paid two fifty an ounce because I, I requested blood tests from my the woman I was wow. working with. So, pint of beer... Three dollars at, at the right bar. Pint of breast milk, much more than three dollars. <laughs> I'm tired of that. I was waiting for that. But yeah, but you, mean, could, you could get it. You could get a woman that maybe drink a beer, and then you would get your milk and your your beer <laughs> all in, in one. one. Wow. And, I, well, I was actually looking at um, in preparation for this some some of the websites um, that sell breast milk, and it is really fascinating. You can choose. There's so many options that you wouldn't necessarily think about um, someone who only eats organic, someone who, um, uh, I don't know, it's all their lifestyle kind of choices come into play when, when you're deciding on what milk Right, is she free-range organic? Does she jasmine hay? Right, which is, which is what... Did the women that you, that you purchased milk from, did they disclose what they, they had ingested? Was that something you took into consideration when you made the cheese? I asked them, I had this little kind of colorful survey that I asked them to fill out. So they would tell me a little bit about what they ate, how they felt about the whole thing. I mean, I was, um, I mean, the project was a lot about ethics also, right? Sure. So I was very upfront about what I was doing before I, when I contacted them. And I found women that were, some women that were super into the idea and really um, interested in it. Some women that didn't, were not that into the idea, but that um, had pumped this substance from their body and they had too much and their child couldn't drink it all and they just couldn't bear to throw it away. Interesting. What what kind of cheeses did you make? What was the recipe that you used? When and again, when Emily brought this up and when I was when I was looking at, at your site, I, I always thought of a certain kind of cheese. I was <laughs> what like what kind of cheese? I always thought um, He thought crouton he's like, like goat cheeses, little these little goat French cheeses. goat cheeses. I was like they're gonna be little goat cheeses of breast milk. <laughs> like goat, che- goat shaped goat cheeses of breast milk. But then I was I did the math and I know that that, that 
that those type of cheeses take, you know, you know, like you have to get 30, 40 days to get that recipe to come to maturation. So and then I was like, is she making is she maturing breast milk cheese somewhere? Is there like a is there? But anyway, that's where my mind went. So what recipe did you use? So I made three different cheeses from yeah. the milk of three different women. And I really um, became interested in this idea of terroir, right? So the terroir, that the kind of environmental, cultural, historical context of the place where, uh, you know, usually your cows or your goats are, are eating their grass and how you're milking it and the microbes in the air affect the, the exact taste of the cheese so that only, like, to the, you know, within the 10-mile radius in the French Alps can you make this whatever kind of cheese. So so I borrowed that idea, um, except for the pastor I was working with was New York City. The first sure. woman the first woman I, I bought the milk from actually lived in Wisconsin in a in a perfect storm of events. <laughs> but after that I worked with, with mothers in New York so that we could keep it local. Um and so I started thinking about like what is in the air and in the land and in the water in New York City, right? Because that's my pasture. Um, and really tried to use the the particular character of the woman that I was working with and, and kind of reflect that in the cheese. So I do have to say at this point that I was not successfully able to make 100% human milk cheese. Um, so the coagulants didn't work properly with the milk? So the casein protein, which is the one that makes the milk coagulate, is um, n- there's not enough of it per kind of essentially liquid content for it to coagulate. So I, I was really interested in doing that um, at first and talked to a couple scientists and there's possibilities of ways to essentially like use a molecular sieve or pressure boil the human milk so that you can release some of the liquid content and really concentrate the casein protein and get it to coagulate. But that's really expensive machinery that at this point I wasn't able to secure. But I mean, if anyone out there has either of those and is interested in uh, being the first to make 100% human cheese, I would still be very open to that. So what I did was um, at first maybe seems like a little bit of cheating, but actually in the end became even much more interesting, was made human cow and human goat blends. Which worked better? They were different. So I made three different cheeses. Um, one was like a simple, fresh cheese. One was a blue cheese, aged. Really? Um, yeah, I worked with one mother, and we became actually quite close, and she really loved blue cheese. Blue cheese was her favorite cheese, and she ate a lot of meat, and she was one of the mothers that said, you know, they tell you that alcohol passes through, but I'll have a glass of red wine now and then. It's fine. Um, So blue cheese somehow fit her really well. So I did make a blue cheese um, with her milk. So that was a human cow blue. Um, I think the fresh cheese was human goat, and then the mother from Wisconsin, we did a cheese curd, human cow. Uh, Wisconsin cheese curds sounds about right. That sounds great. So that's an interesting. So so you said the blue cheese you felt represented her in a way, and um, that's actually an interesting question or a follow up question that I wanted me to ask you as we we are doing this series on art and cheeses and how they relate to one another. And we're we're feeling our way through this now. The art. Um, do you believe the art? Is in the is in your project, or is there an art within the art? Was is the making cheese an art, or is that a science, or is it both? Oh man, we're getting philosophical here. Um, is making cheese an art? I, it's definitely a craft. Certainly, it definitely involves science. 
Um, whether it's art or not, I mean, I actually I hate the question, what is art? And it's one that's posed to me a Certainly. lot. Certainly. Um, I think it matters all in your intention. I mean, to me, good art asks good questions, and that's where I was coming from when I was making it, and I was very viscerally <laughs> asking and somewhat answering my own question when I was making cheese with these women that I was spending time with, with their milk. Um, so, you know, I ask you only because, for, my, for myself, as, as a cheesemonger, for as long as I've worked with cheese, the objects to me are, are, I guess, what I would consider to be. They're like tiny poems or tiny pictures. They're, they're these living things that we sell. You know, and, and my job, and what I tell myself when I, when I don't want to tell myself that I'm a grocery store clerk is that I'm taking care of all of these tiny little organisms. But They are tiny little organisms. And, but they're beautiful and, they, and they're shaped. They're created by, man using, by mankind using, you know... Not just mankind. I mean, you're collab- you're collaborating with all those right. bacteria, and and also with with the the combination of all of that bacteria and food that pets passing through through an animal. So I ask you only because to me the end product is always an artistic object, and and I arrange them as such, like on my counter, or I try to. So you know, it, it that's just how I look at that's how I look at the cheese. That's why I love to do it. That's why I love to do the work, you know, because it's, uh, it gives me that modicum of control and it unlocks all of these um, these memories and, and emotions and feelings for for food and for life. So that that's only why I asked. I hate that question, too. I think the world would be a much better place if more people saw their cheese as a piece of art. <laughs> well, it's true. But, but then there's also there's industrial art. And there's you know there's I mean, there's commercial art and and there isn't I I remember one of my favorite books uh, was uh, was Bluebeard by Kurt Vonnegut and it all centralized around this uh, this man who was an artist but his main job was to was to draw pictures for like a Sears Roebuck catalog you know and uh, and it was before they took pictures so they drew in all of the clothing and his struggle you know between being in a to being being an artist uh, like a Rothko esque artist and then this catalog artist you know. So all of the cheeses are to me, and, but it's just that it's just categorized differently. Um, and it was really interesting because I I just wanted to I wanted to get in your head and see what you thought of the objects you created. Um, so we're going to have to take a tiny break here, um, but we'll be back shortly and continue our discussion with Miriam and Emily. Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin and the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board are proud to underwrite Cutting the Curd on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Wisconsin cheeses have an illustrious heritage of more than 170 years of quality and craftsmanship. 
During this long and rich history, the art and science of cheesemaking have been captured in time-honored traditions that produce cheese varieties of unsurpassed excellence. Today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit www.eatwisconsincheese.com. This is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. Here We're here with uh, Miriam Simoon and Emily Acosta discussing uh, cheese and art, and specifically the human milk cheese made by our guest, Miriam. And uh, before the break, you had uh, mentioned that a large part of your project uh, was had to do with ethics, and I was wondering um, if you could expound on that for us. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... I had been at that point um, reading a lot and interested in what essentially were some people call surrogacy farms, um, which are places often in poor countries um, where women that are hired to carry um, other people, uh, well, it becomes complicated if they're other people's children or not, but basically women that rent out their wombs right, yeah. to carry children to term, usually uh, that the eggs are not theirs, but that are implanted and they're somebody else's. Um, and I just was kind of mind boggled by how that came to be as an industry um, and, and interested in, in why it was without making huge judgments um, straight away. And so I think in in some ways this project maybe started a little bit as an interrogation of that because um, I was interested in kind of making something that can be sold um, and then what happens when it's food and what's, when it's something you eat rather than something that's medicalized because that's, I think, a lot of new technology enters into our world as a kind of a medical issue, which loads it with a lot of uh, moralistic things around saving lives or saving families or giving children to those that can't. And then the slope is slippery. So I was interested in doing something that um, was maybe a little bit more trivial than saving lives, but, but used a lot of the same elements. And I was just interested in where we would fall ethically um, with that. The, the farms you're talking about are establishments where I believe women are paid around six or $7,000, and they have to remain there for the entire nine months of their pregnancy, correct? And that, right, so yeah. that they can... They're, they're, Which is a crazy thing. Their water and food and everything can be monitored, right? It makes sense yeah. um, from a rational perspective. But it's a kind of a crazy it thing. It seems intense. I mean, or, or, but I wouldn't... I mean, it seems, it seems intense. So you, you're start, you started there in some way. And to explore the ethics of that, of that operation, or I just, just I was interested in what that meant, and I was interested in kind of um, there's many different ways in which women sell their bodies, uh, and the, the ethics around that are complicated. And I think I was just interested in problematizing that and kind of figuring that out for myself. And at the same time, like I said, uh, I was also just really interested in this kind of rise of the local narrative-based food, food scene, man. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so something, I, I crashed them together. I guess there's no more local source of food than from your own body. That's or <laughs> New York, yeah, New York uh, urban dairy. Um, I think, well, that's one of the fascinating things to me about cheese is that it is this object that can um, 
be embedded with so much meaning and can be a metaphor for so many things. So you start off in one place and you kind of leads you into all these other conversations. Totally. One of which is um, one that you mentioned earlier about the terroir, which I think I from that um, one seminar that was one of the really interesting points that I kept coming back to as I progressed in my academic um, career as well, and it really started off from that one conversation. Um, if you could elaborate a little bit about the idea of terroir, and also, I think, just from curiosity, for curiosity, what the cheeses actually tasted like, and did they taste of what these women were consuming? Yeah, um, those are all really great questions. So, terroir. Uh, oh, I love terroir. It's so much fun. Um, so, it originated right in Europe, where history is a little bit older, tied to the land, or at least the way we tell it. Um, and something really interesting, I think, happens when you do terroir here in the U.S., because uh, history around land gets a little complicated pretty quickly. Um, the cheese-making culture as we know it today, and kind of the, it's a very European thing, um, those people have not been on the land nearly as long as, as they have in France or Italy, and so there's um, more construction of narrative you can say or maybe it's just more evident because um there are certainly other histories that that come up or you know around where that land came from um and what's native to it uh so i just played with that and i said you know why not construct our own terroir i mean terroir there's a lot of really interesting work um that looks at how we use terroir to kind of establish our relationship to the land um, and, and construct what that relationship should be. Um, but the truth is that the nature that more and more of us in the world are living in is cities, right? Um, and New York City is our nature, and New York City is the pasture where uh, my milk producers roamed. And so I would use those um, elements also in the cheese description. I can't remember the entire thing off the top of my head. I think you, they ha you, I have it on my website, but one of the cheeses, I believe it was the blue, it mentioned something that it was a mix of, um, you know, it, that included wafting waivers of taxi cab smells. <laughs> Tasty. <laughs> Um, it was it actually did taste pretty good, but it but it right throws a little bit into a question into um, how we want to live and um, and also thinking about I just have to add this one thing. I mean, there's a really interesting thing around um, people are, are you know people are worried about free range and things like that and what's getting into their meat and what's getting into the milk of their cheese. But I mean, where are humans living? Absolutely. Um, a really interesting thing is that. Producing milk is actually the only way um, and definitely the best way that you can release industrial toxins from your body because um, all the stuff, the nasty pollutants that are in the air, that are in the water, that stuff builds up in our fat. And really the, the preeminent way that we release body fat from our bodies is through milk. Um, so part of you know this like cheese description was maybe to to call into question the taxi cabs that are around but also kind of thinking about um what exactly is ending up in the bodies of our neighbors and does eating their cheese make us more aware or more interested in that no that's fantastic that's uh, that's well thought out i mean i was just i was just joking but i completely understand uh where i wait i wait on a, a people all the time you know i sell them cheese and and they they are very concerned with me sometimes handling the, the products. You know, like people want you to wear gloves, they want you to do this, they want you to do that. But they've like they've walked in with a newspaper in their hands. You know, after getting out of the subway and putting their hands all over these other things, and 
it's funny that they that people you know they 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 don't they don't look at themselves and then the the grime that they have uh, that they've accumulated you know because or or at least that's what i feel like you're what like you're saying and i mean that's that's super that's super interesting i actually I've, I'm, I'm learning a lot right here uh, because I, I was certain that you had only had fresh cheeses. I think that – did you have a name? I, I had to a- age the cheese. Come on, fresh cheeses. <laughs> I love fresh cheeses, but it's not really – it doesn't get sexy and, and cheesy so the character until you is wait different. a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. What, sure. what types of cultures did you use, which is a whole other interesting question about terroir and um, purchasing cultures versus – I mean, obviously, you probably used some sort of a, a culture mix that you, you purchased from Yeah, somewhere. I purchased um, like ready-made rennets from a couple of different vendors and played around with different ones and seed which one washed which ones um worked the best who helped you actually um make the cheese or did you just read cheese books and then i read a lot of cheese books i read a lot online i tried to find some cheese makers that would work with me to make the cheese but um they did not want to touch me with a did 10 you get, foot pole most really of you got turned down definitely i find that interesting i i didn't i i don't know why anyone would turn you down i think it would be if I were a cheesemaker and someone wanted me to do that project just because I like to make cheese, I would be interested to do it. Well, where were you when I was doing that? <laughs> but I'm not a cheesemaker. I'm a cheesemonger. I see. Um, I, did, I did find in the end a friend, kind of a budding cheesemaker, um, that had some experience that, that we worked together the first few times and kind of developed the recipe. But yeah, um, established cheesemakers were, were not in, on a scale from not interested to horrified. Horrified. Now, see, like I was, I, I said in the beginning, and at the beginning of our of our show, uh, when Emily mentioned this to me, I didn't think I could actually have the cheese pass through my lips. And then, and I I related it to a story of I my friends left me some lobsters. I was running a cheese shop out in the Hamptons. My friends left me some lobsters in a refrigerator, and I for I forgot them for a minute. And I went back, and they were sort of still alive. And then I boiled them, you know, because I was like, lobsters, these are great. I want them. I want to eat them. But I boiled them, and as I was boiling them, and I took them out, I couldn't eat them. Like they were just, I couldn't let it pass through my lips. And I think that that's what I my mind was telling me about about the human milk cheese because I have this idea in my mind of what it tastes like and it's not good and I don't know why that is because I love milk of all sorts and I obviously love cheese and I just I just find it really interesting that I have that block well it, I, there's definitely a, I mean a cultural aspect to it um, that breast milk it's taboo after you reach a certain age it's like you're not supposed to be eating you know drinking breast milk anymore so i think it's interesting most of the people i've told um this project uh, about um disgust is very much the first thing <laughs> that people feel and then the more it's you, a multi-stage reaction it disgust is. is usually the first one and it's just it's very interesting um but mm. Well, and then it just, I mean, my first answer always to that is, um, you know, why human milk is more disgusting than another animal's Exactly. Milk. And that's what, that was what started to make me think about it, uh, really, a, a, a quite a bit. I mean, I, I've eaten cheese made of yak's milk. I had butter and cheese made of yak's milk about 
Oh my goodness! It must have been in like 1998, maybe or 99. A friend of mine brought it, and I'll never get the taste of that yak butter out of my mouth. It was literally like licking the underbelly of a sweaty animal, and I can still taste it right now if I think about it. And I don't know why, but I feel like if I ate the human milk cheese, oh, human cheese is much better than that. What that are they defining? Mine. What are the flavor characteristics of a human milk cheese? Um, so the milk is a, is a tiny bit sweeter than either cow or goat milk, um, and it's usually pretty creamy, but it depends really on what the mother is eating, um, and then it depends on what cultures are used, right? So with the blue cheese, the kind of the bacteria start to take over, and that really takes over the taste. With the fresh cheeses, you could taste a little bit more if there's a lot of meat or she was eating Indian food the day before, um, that kind of a little bit of spiciness would really come through. Right, because it's a smaller, I mean, you're, you only have one stomach, right? You only get one stomach to process that food as opposed to, uh, you know, a cow <laughs> where, where there's a lot more filtration uh, to sort of sort out those toxins, I imagine. That's um, that's pretty interesting. Now, just a, as a, in a sort of in conclusion, you, you this is a project that you started in 2011, correct? Mm-hmm. Now, are you still making human milk cheese now? Not right now. I'm working on a recipe book for human milk um, and actually just had the first recipe for human cheese published in a, in a book that's coming out, I think, in a month called The Multi-Species Salon. It's a collection of essays of anthropologists and artists. And my essay is an essay, but um, it takes the form of a recipe for human milk cheese. And you can follow the recipe and, and make your own. That's fantastic. I, um, I, I mean, I... I really, I'm impressed. I, I was, uh, I learned a lot today about human milk cheese. Um, well, unfortunately, we're going to have to sign off, but um, we definitely want to thank you, Miriam Simoon, for coming in. And you guys should check out her exhibit, and uh, it's on 59th Street. And uh, you know, go go there, check it out. Um, thanks, Miriam, and thank you, Emily, for co-hosting. Um, we'll see you back again next week on Cutting the Curd. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the itunes store by searching heritage radio network you can like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at heritage underscore radio you can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org heritage radio network is a 501c3 nonprofit. to donate and become a member visit our website today thanks for listening